stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T. And tonight, my guest is Dr. Bill Senior. Bill's an experienced pastor of 25 years, discipler, church revitalization specialist, lecturer, and conference speaker. He's the author of 12 books and two online experiential paths to help people who struggle with identity, relationships, shame, addiction, loneliness, and forgiveness. How are you doing tonight, Dr. Senyard? I'm doing great. Just call me Bill, but I'm doing fine. It's so glad to be here. Thanks so much for coming tonight, Bill. So let's get started. Obviously, these great things that you're doing for God and these ministries that you're involved in and so on, you obviously had a journey to Christ. Tell me about that. So I was raised in a really a, a conservative mainline offshoot church. It was a small family. It was about 20 of us. Pretty legalistic, to tell you the truth. I mean, works-oriented. We were serious about it, and it was drilled into my head and my two brothers' heads. I was catechized and did well in the catechism because that's what you do. But then it all fell to pieces when I went to college, like most. So when I became 21, graduated from college and, and went to work, I had this huge moral failure. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't a Christian. I don't believe I was. Maybe in the mind of God, but I was not experiencing that relationship at all. But I did think I was a good person because I was religious. I was that person. And it was, a, it was a matter of pride for me and identity for me. And I just crashed. I crashed and burned. And through that, God did some miraculous, funny stuff. I was with a married woman whose mother was a Baptist Sunday school teacher. And <laughs> she confronted me one time and caught us basically and confronted us and said, Bill, you've, you've shamed your family. You've disgraced my family. And she just did this whole list. And I just kept getting angrier and angrier <laughs> because that was my defense mechanisms, right? And over the next two weeks, God brought someone into my path that actually gave me the gospel. And in the most least likely way, I was actually interviewing him to come and work for the company I was with. And my job was to wine him and dine him in Houston, Texas. Right. I said, oh, how are you going to know? And he said, Jesus is going to tell me. And I went, what? Wait, <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to wine and dine you. You just killed the evening. So anyway, I became a Christian at the age of 21. But here's the thing that I want to tell you. It took me 15 years after that so I knew Jesus died for my sins. I knew he hung on the cross for my sins. I knew that, you know, he's not going to bring it up again. But I didn't, looking back, I didn't actually think he loved me or liked me. So for 15 years, I was doing ministry like a crazed maniac, not knowing why. I was just really energized by it. And it was in seminary 15 years later in Vancouver at Regent College. I was sitting in the office of Dr. James Houston. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, boom, just came right then and there. And I experienced for the first time God liking me, which for me was a higher step of even loving me. It was ridiculous. I went into depression. Dr. Houston kind of coaxed me out of it. What an amazing thing. Looking back now, and this is what has driven my passion. If you look at my stuff and look at the books, I think there's a lot of Christians who are saved. We're headed to heaven and would even know that. And they know the stuff up here, but they're not feeling loved by God. They're actually feeling like they're a disappointment to God. Two-thirds of Christians, according to one study, believe that when they finally see Jesus, he'll turn away in disgust and disappointment. 
do you think that the struggles that Christians have who feel that way is because their initial faith, as it sounds like with yourself, branched out into a works-based faith? Yeah, yeah. But let me put a layer on top of that. I think what we've done over the last three or four, maybe even five decades is we've given the good news, and so you're saved, but now what? And we've basically that sanctification process, right? I tell you what, it looks pretty secular. It looks pretty humanistic. It looks pretty deistic. I needed the Holy Spirit. I needed Jesus to be saved. But the sanctification process, we've really been implicitly teaching that you need to do this on your own. You need to choose to be good. You need to choose to be loved. You need to choose to love unlovable people. And then we have this, you know, the midbrain thing happening with this critical inner voice telling us, yeah, God loves Billy Graham, but he doesn't love you because you've screwed up. And it's just constant. It's how we're created. And we can't choose. We don't have the muscle group to turn that off. I mean, before we came on, we talked about addicts. Mm -hmm. Addicts can't stop not wanting that next hit. It's deep in their head. Addicts are great to work with because they're honest. You know, you just can't tell an addict, like a porn addict or an alcohol addict Mm -hmm. or someone self-medicating and saying, just choose to stop. And they'll just look at you like, you have no idea. So what we're missing, Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, he models this. He prays for the Ephesians, and the Ephesians are going to screw up. We know that from Revelation 2. But he, he models asking God for his power. And three times in that section, Paul talks about depending upon God's power, not the Ephesians. And right. in the middle, it's God's power through the Holy Spirit and your inner being. So the Holy Spirit's involved in the inner being of all Christians. And in the middle of it is so you can begin to know the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. And that's for you and for others. And so Paul modeled at the very beginning of this very important letter that to do the Christian life really well, and even to experience God's love on a regular basis, I actually have to start asking for power from him. I have to begin to stop depending upon my good works, but actually learn how to actually ask the Holy Spirit to make me feel God's love. One of the things that's really helped me over the last six to eight months, maybe even a year or whatever, is just having that quiet time with God and just being honest with him in the morning to say, you know what? I don't feel like you know, feeling it. spending yeah. an hour today in prayer. You know, it's just coming to the realization that God is as much of a personality as we can understand yeah. it as we are. And so my prayer time has just become a very open and honest conversation nice. with love him. It. Well, check it out. I mean, so Christians, we know we're going to be in heaven. And when we're in heaven, we're not going to be angry at anybody. We're not going to be holding it. We're going to, we're going to freely forgive forgive because it it would be kind of our nature then. Yeah. And we have the Holy Spirit in us who's going to make that happen, you know, along with the Father and the Son. So look, what Paul was talking about and and revitalists have talked about and, you know, reformational theologians is, you know what, if we can get more in sync with the Holy Spirit, he's already forgiven those people who've hurt me, meaning he's paid for it, he's made it happen, and, and I can begin the foretaste of heavenly forgiveness. Theologically, God can do whatever he wants, but, but I imagine when you get to heaven, you're going to experience even more forgiveness. You're going to go, oh my goodness, there's even more, and we'll all be tripping <laughs> over that, right? The problem is, so forgiveness is a great one because I've written a lot about it, my my thesis and one of the online gospel intensives. What Christian therapists, well-meaning people, by the way, who've helped me tremendously, so I'm not judging, I'm not being critical, but we have been telling people since the late 80s is you just need to, on your own, choose to forgive. (laughs) So what we've done, I track the history of this. 
If you've been in church any length of time, you know Jesus says we're supposed to do it, right? A yeah. lot. And what, what we've done since the late 80s is we've given people a task, you need to choose to forgive, and they haven't done it. They've flagged. And so, you know, this is not an overwhelmingly strong statement. We have shamed a generation of Christian victims. Well, I think you made the point earlier because you said that we're almost like demanding that people forgive. And right. you cannot physically do that on can't your own without the Holy Spirit. You right. just can't. One of the great theologians of the Reformation taught this, mm-hmm. said that the secret workings, he wrote, of the Holy Spirit in our inner being, the, the so today it would be the wheelhouse, the chief passion, what the Holy Spirit, his number one job in us is to make us experience the love of God, make mm-hmm. Christians experience the love of God. Because he writes, there's something in our heads that prevents us from really believing it. We know it. We can take a test. But most Christians, like I said, they're hesitant to really believe that God likes them or loves them. You think some of that has to do with spiritual pride? Because what crossed my mind when you were talking about that was, you know, we can look at people that have gone through some really difficult things in life. And that has led someone onto the streets and someone into addiction and and whatever it may be. The world would put them down, right? And judge them. But you can't judge those people you love, right? Well, we're we're supposed to represent Jesus as he is to the world. Is he the God who actually loves the unlovable? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're representing that much, Johnny. I think we're representing a a Jesus who likes people who come into our church and do well. I remember Uh, we were at one church years ago and we opened up a coffee house and it was a place where it was right down the street from the bar and people could just come in. A lot of young people came in and so on. and, And they started coming to church with us. And so, you know, they'd come sit up at the front of the church with us and we had addicts and we had homosexuals and we had right. kids living in sin and, you know, right. all at the front of the church and, and at the back of the church, some of the other people are going, you know, it's a little too tidy in here for, for that, right? right? You know, that thing. And it was, it was sad. Right. It was really sad. And, and Jesus would be in the middle of it, chilling and, and laughing and, exactly. and not, not approving of anybody's works, but actually looking them in the eyes and, and loving them, loving them into the kingdom, kind of, right? Absolutely. So, so what would you say? So let's say somebody's listening tonight yeah. and they've experienced that kind of hurt from a church environment. <sighs> what would you say to that person listening about the real Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if and assume, let, let's let's do the case where they are Christians, all right? The Holy Spirit's dwelling in their inner being. They know that. So they're wounded. They're feeling some shame, and from shame of uh, from an institution that's representing Jesus and not very well. So the way to, to fix that or begin to fix that, begin to embrace that, is what Paul says in Ephesians three: is to ask for God's power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being to begin to experience the height and width and length and depth of love of Christ for you, and. When they begin to actually experience, and by the way, I mean just actually asking. It's so simple a child, like the way I put it, it's so simple a pastor could do it. And keep asking until they actually experience this ridiculous love, because the Holy Spirit's dying to do it, right? That's I think that's correct. And he's just, in some ways, he doesn't have to, but many times he waits just to be asked. And if that person was able to experience that, they would feel enough. I mean, this relationship, they yes. would feel loved, they would feel honored, they would feel like a person of substance and and 
and amazing things would bubble over in their heart. They would actually begin to feel love for the people who hurt them a little or a lot. Right. It would be dramatic difference. And what happens in neuroscience is the Holy Spirit would begin to rewire the person's brain. Because right now, the shame just gets sunk down in there. And then there's this nasty critical inner voice, and it's deeply invested. And the Holy Spirit has to go in there with a different language, which is the gospel. And by the way, here's what I call the simple uncluttered gospel. Jesus followers, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. Right back to that shame function, right? You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple, good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. And I encourage people like that. And by the way, you've just described most of millennials. The millennials I've talked to are fleeing church. Number one reason is because they don't feel safe. They feel shamed when they walk in the door. It's right. not like we're trying. It's, it's well-meaning people, but we're not listening that we're actually shaming people. So I, I hand these cards to them and I say, look, I'm begging you. Just say it twice a day, aloud, 45 days, 50 days. So the, the nasty critical inner voice is beating us up. You can't get rid of it, I don't think. There's no surgery for that. So instead, we create a new habit that gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And that's this love affair. And that's what Spurgeon called it, a furious love affair, my relationship with God. But I have to tell you, I've spoken about this all over the world. And when I ask congregations of Christians, most of them have never heard this. Mm -hmm. It's different than what the church has been through over the past few decades, for sure. Yep. We've definitely been steeped in a works environment yes. for a long time. And God's birthing a new revelation. He's doing uh, a new I thing. I hope you're right. You know? and, and I honestly believe that. And I've experienced that myself in my own yeah. life. And yes, I'm not there yet, but who is, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, but at least I'm comfortable the, with knowing I'm not there yet. I'm, just, I'm, on, I'm on my journey, right? You We're know? on the journey. So for the people that have never accepted Christ into their life or don't even really yeah. understand yeah, yeah. for what Jesus should mean to them. Yeah, see, this is so easy because when Jesus walked on the planet, it was the unbelievers that tracked him. It was the unbelievers that swarmed him, right? The Sermon on the Mount, I mean, there, there's no record of that being Jews. It was huge unbelievers, right? So whatever Jesus was preaching and doing was attractive to unbelievers. I mean, that should tell us something, right? So to those people who are hurting, they're feeling shame, they're feeling like they've fallen short of expectation of their mommies or daddies or their own expectations or the world's expectations. They're hurting. They've been abused. They've been treated with injustices. Mm -hmm. All of those things just sort of take substance and worth out of us. What if there was something or someone, some event, some process where you could actually begin to fill your empty cup just a little bit and you would actually know it and you would actually feel loved a little bit or a lot. You would actually feel like a person of honor and distinction and esteem a little bit or a lot so much more than you do right now, would you be interested? And I've never had anybody say they weren't interested in hearing more. But when I've talked about heaven or hell, I've had lots of people walk away. <laughs> They've both been misrepresented over the years. Correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, so hard this, to, this... it's hard to 
it's hard to turn away from somebody that loves you. Well, that's Jesus. And, yeah, uh, I agree. We have to we have to change how we present Jesus first of all to Christians. That's my ministry and passion is to get Christians actually to feel the love of God again. We felt it once, but to feel it again and then again, and then again. And we change. We become less grabby. We become a little less judgmental. A little. We become a little less ashamed. By the way, we become a little less addictive. Addicts are not addicted to the drugs or chemicals or porn. They're addicted to the dopamine hits, right? that come right, from that. Right. Well, we're talking about a different dopamine hit, this relationship that I have with Jesus, that he loves me as I am. Boom. So we're basically creating a competing addiction. Yeah. I remember when I was 19 and I gave my heart to the Lord for the very first time. And I had a smile on my face like a Cheshire cat. You couldn't right. wipe it off for, for no reason. Right. Right. And people probably came up to you and went, what, what are you smoking? Or, you know, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. People who don't know Jesus, they don't understand that. And one of my best friends, he walked up to me one day, says, Johnny, what really happened to you? <laughs> right. And you he know? was interested. Yeah. And and by the way, so I'm, I'm going to tweak a little bit. We, yeah. I think we have to get rid of the, the way we say, uh, come to know Jesus. That's very enlightenment, very rational. It's true, by the way. But yeah. but what, what I'm talking about, it, and this is where the millennials and Gen Z come in, is do you want to experience the love of Jesus? Right. For you as you are. You know what? We're saying the same thing theologically, right? But yep. it's only being heard. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in knowing anything, but I am interested if you've got something faster that can make me feel loved because right now I'm suicidal yep. or I, I feel like I got to go cut myself or I'm, I have eating disorders. You've got something that can make me. F- okay, you got, you got five minutes. Talk. People are interested in that because they all want to get that hit of dopamine. That yeah. doesn't cost anything. There's no question that, you know, we try to fill the voids in our life with so many things other That's than it. God. And it works a little short term. Oh, sure it does. And it's, but it's temporary. It's temporary. You know, it is so That's temporary. Right. Have you heard yep. that song, Graves in the Gardens? Uh, I don't think so. No, it's an awesome song. In the verse, he says, I searched the world and it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures the fade. There it is. After enough. Like there it's it just so powerful. You there know? it is. And There's I a just, worship song similar. It's called Gyra. It's very similar. And the, the idea is Gyra means provider, right? In, in the Hebrew. Right, Jehovah Gyra. Yeah. Jehovah Gyra. But uh, elevation worship, that's it. But they they rightly translated it enough. Mm. God is enough. That is brilliant. I mean, he's provider, but you know why he can provide is because he actually is enough and he's enough for you and you're not enough. And that's how we feel. So for people who aren't feeling enoughness, God comes and says, it's me. I am enough. It's just a brilliant, brilliant worship song, Elevation Worship. If you haven't heard it, oh my gosh, it's so good. Oh, I'll listen to it for sure. And even Jesus, he said himself, I am. I am. You know, I am. Exactly. Two words. That encapsulates the whole thing. And it was enough for a prostitute, enough for, I mean, you know, enough for a deceiver, enough for a tax collector, enough. He's just enough in a world that's struggling with, like you said, emptiness. There's something that of substance. And we, the church, we just need to get rid of the branding we have and start making Jesus and his love for unlovable people our brand. You know, John 4 is his message or Luke 4. Amen. So if you're going to leave our audience with one thing, if this, if this was going to be your last sentence that you were ever going to say to somebody, what would you leave them with? Ask, ask. 
ask the Holy Spirit, wherever you are right now, whether you're hurting, feeling empty, feeling lost, feeling afraid, you know, perfect love, cast out fear, just ask the Holy Spirit. And you might even not believe in the Holy Spirit, but give it a shot. Go ahead. What can it hurt if you don't believe in Him? Ask the Holy Spirit to make you, not help you, but make you feel loved by God as you are right now. Or just ask Him to make you feel loved right now as you are, not as you should be. Give it a shot. Amen. So if somebody wants to find out more about your ministry, your books, where could they go? The website is gospel-app.com and all of it's on there. I also have a podcast that I'm doing called The Gospel Rant. And I'm just ranting like I do here. It's, you know, little things that interest me that I think the church should see or the con- or the culture should see. I have a lot of fun and I can push it because I'm calling it a rant, you know, and, and yeah. <laughs> I can always say I deny a it. righteous I rant. My bad. Right? A righteous rant. <laughs> a righteous rant uh, sometimes. So, yeah. but yeah, uh, that's gospel rant and, and it's on a bunch of uh, podcast sites. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being a part of our show tonight. I, I really appreciate your ministry and what God's enlightened you Thanks. to do God. with those tools that he's given you and that passion for it. Obviously, it's evident. And I think that happens for anybody who really comes to know the truth of who God is. You can't help but be passionate right. about it. Right. More than convinced. We are we're actually experiencing this stuff. Absolutely. So God bless you, Bill. Thanks so much for being here. And I look forward to more conversation with you in the future. Great interview. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. some power And I need a deeper love Apparently I'm not alone Wanting flesh for this heart of stone There's a place above the street
the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.